so there's the other elephant in the room. Oh, okay. Which is there's a lot of articles that are just written by AI, which mm. is ironic when you are talking about NVIDIA and their AI systems. That um, is. That is. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there there are several algorithms that are out there which write pretty convincing news articles. So, and they do it. They do it in seconds. And there's there's always like if you read it, there's always just something that seems wrong about the way stuff is worded, or it just doesn't seem quite right. That's that's usually an indication. I think actually I sent some articles to you a while ago that I was like, this is literally the worst article I have ever read in my life. <laughs> like some of the sentences, it's like buzzword, buzzword, verb, you know, outcome. And it's I like, remember this. Yes. This sentence doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's a properly built sentence. These are real words, but it doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah, I like what the generated images too. You'll like start looking at a detail and you're like, is that a finger? What is that? That's not really his finger. His finger looks wrong. What is that? Mm -hmm. Is that an iceberg? Why is there an iceberg on the end of his finger? It's just little things like that that just didn't get quite right. Yeah, I laugh at all the uh like the AI enhancements that they have that are out there as filters for like people's faces. Because like if you just look at it like cursorily, it, it looks it looks okay. But if you actually inspect it, you're like Okay, what the hell is wrong with your eyes? What <laughs> yeah. is going on there? And then you like you zoom in, you're like, oh, okay, you use one of those. Well, hello again, JT. It feels like it's been a while since we've had an episode. Yeah, it has been a while. You've uh You've been kind of MIA recently. Yeah, well, I've been, I moved, and it's, this just seems like there's too many things going on these days. It's that season where too many things happen, and everybody wants to do something, and I think last year we didn't have that problem because COVID, everybody was staying in. But this year, it's like, oh, we gotta have a party, we gotta do something. So, I think the problem is that maybe I'm in, I'm involved in a couple too many organizations or something, I don't know. You just shut some of that stuff down. Anyway. Welcome back. Hi. Seems like you never left. Anyway, I, I was... No, uh, I've, I've been here the whole time. Right. It's like an anchorman. <laughs> he turns around and there's just standing there. We've been always been here, Ron. That's you. Yep. So, all right. So now that we're back on, I wanted to talk through this NVIDIA ARM merger. I think it's a merger. I, I, we were discussing if it was a merger or a buy. I think it's a merger. And it got blocked recently by the FTC. And I was kind of, first of all, why did NVIDIA want to buy ARM? That's a good question to explore. And why does the FTC, FTC have a problem with it? You want to start with the first question? Um, dollars. Okay. How many dollars does ARM make? A lot? A lot. And they're a competitor to Intel, which... NVIDIA doesn't directly compete with yet, but I'm sure they'd like to. And also, right now on NVIDIA's uh, AI compute systems, they're dependent on Intel for the CPU. Um, they could use AMD, but then again, they're dependent on another company. Whereas if they... They could technically do their own thing based on ARM like Apple did, um, and make their own CPU that they can then customize for their purposes. However, NVIDIA being NVIDIA, why license something from ARM to build your own CPU if you can just gobble up ARM and then have everything they've done at your fingertips? Well, by that logic, why didn't Apple buy ARM? Because their, their chips are built on ARM at the base, right? They've improved? Because I don't think Apple wants to be a, an Intel competitor. Okay. They want to build systems. They don't want to necessarily okay. build CPUs. I mean, yes, they do want to build CPUs. That's why they did it. But they don't want, I don't think, they don't want to go into the CPU silicon manufacturing business. Well, whether they like it or not, they're now an Intel competitor directly. I mean, Intel was getting a lot of business from putting their chips into Apple products, and now they're not going to. So. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, if you look at how many Apple products are sold and how many Intel CPUs are sold, yeah. Apple was taking next to none, considering Intel's actual market footprint. That's fair. 
And they were demanding quite a lot, too. Yeah, because they're Apple, and they, they think they can get everything that they want for nothing. Yeah, there was like three while years. While they charge everyone else the, the moon for it. Yeah. There was like three years where the computers just didn't really advance much. And it was just mm-hmm. like, what was Mac trying to sell? Because this is pretty much the same processor, just with another stamp on it. As, well, I mean, you know, it's not very much improved. Right, but in Mac's defense, they don't need to improve. They just need to put out a new model, and their fans will go buy it. Right. Oh, we've talked about so, that. Yeah. 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 It's not that cut and dried, but sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's oh, that simple. Okay. All right. So, returning back to NVIDIA. NVIDIA buys ARM so they can start building total appliances, units, all solutions that do not require Intel at all. I'm guessing either Intel was saying, hey, we got you over a barrel, we're going to take advantage of the situation, or just not forthcoming, or something. Because this is $40 billion. That's not So a couple things. One, one, I don't think Intel was putting them over a barrel. I think NVIDIA just didn't want to have to work with Intel. I mean, if they can do it themselves, why would they want to deal with somebody else? Right. I mean, you know, the reason it seems that they bought Mellanox is because they wanted the high-speed interconnect technology which makes sense if you want to link 16 ai cores in you know a 4u server right so yeah they they acquired melanox so they could get that so then they could start utilizing it now they could have partnered with melanox but then they don't get you know access to everything in the secret sauce or now they do okay uh so they're better able to integrate and then they don't ever have to worry about business goals at Mellanox changing and then NVIDIA getting the short end of the deal because, well, NVIDIA owns Mellanox. So that's not going to happen. So I think for NVIDIA, it made good business sense to, hey, we want to make oodles and oodles of money off of machine learning. We have systems like the DGX that I think started like a quarter million. It's that much per server. Yeah. And that's just like one, one system. Whoa. And you can, you can stack it like they're, they're big dollar items, Damn. you know, but obviously when you want to drop all of those AI GPU compute cores into a system, well, you still need a CPU to actually tie everything together. Right. Yeah. And you don't really need a full purpose CPU core that you know we would generally talk about that they would be getting from Intel because they were using Intel Xeons before I believe like there's a lot of things that come in Xeons that they wouldn't really take advantage of yeah because the workload for those machines is very specific yeah well they're not going to be able to convince Intel to create custom silicon just for them that focuses on certain things to fair okay with arm they could they could go to arm and go look we need a processor that can do these specific things and only these specific things. And let's say four things. And these two things, it does faster than anything else that's out there. And the other two things that we need, we just, we need it to be good and solid. They could do that. But then again, they're beholden to arm. And then hypothetically, since arm is the one creating that and the designs and all that, they could then sell that to somebody else. So yeah, NVIDIA maybe could do an exclusive agreement with them but then that's going to cost them more. And at a certain point, it's just like, you know, if we just own this company, all of our problems go away. That's cheaper than, okay, I see now. Yeah. I I keep puzzling over 40 billion. That's a hell of a lot of money. Well, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of money at once, but you know, how much does ARM make every year just in general? I I don't know. I was just trying to find that out. You know, how much was NVIDIA spending with Intel over the past 10 years, let's say for their systems? I don't know all of these factors come together and it really at the heart of it it my question is is was this a merger or was this an acquisition because those are different things because an acquisition is just company a buys company b and yes they're owned by the same they can work together but they're still two separate companies whereas a merger is we have two separate companies and we're making one company out of it so the articles i've seen allude to it as a merger okay so not an acquisition. Let me see, though. Okay, so uh, I'm looking. This is very confusing. I'm looking right on FTC's website. They released a press release early December about they were blocking, they were suing to block this merger. So the title says, FTC 
sues to block $40 billion semiconductor chip merger. And then their very first sentence says, the Federal Trade Commission today sued to block U.S. chip supplier NVIDIA Corp's $40 billion acquisition of U.K. chip design provider Arm Limited. Which is it, FTC? Yeah. That's kind of confusing. Because I know Mellanox was an acquisition. So when you acquire something, it could continue to operate exactly as it is now, but all of its profits and losses come to you. Yeah, you just, you just own right. the thing. Wholly owned subsidiary, perhaps, or however you want to combine it with your other operations. Yeah. Merger is you no longer have the two individual companies, you have one. Right. Um, for camera, to make a camera reference, way back in the day, you had Minolta. You also had Konica. They were two completely separate companies. They merged and became Konica Minolta. Uh, another example in the car business was you had Daimler-Benz, and then you had Chrysler. And then it became Daimler-Chrysler for a while I until they eventually split back apart. Like, yeah. that, that's a merger where the two separate companies no longer exist. You have one that is both of them together. Okay. That tightly couples everything together because, again, it's one company. And everything gets integrated. The boards get integrated, you know, and then it, that just cascades down throughout everything. Right. So, ARM's business dealings with other people besides NVIDIA... I guess if you're another, if you're um, someone who's buying your stuff from ARM, are you concerned that NVIDIA is buying the company? Or are you just like, oh, great, okay, more, more money in the war chest? Well, again, it, these, merging, I hate it, but these, these terms are very important. Yeah, they are, you know, they are. Apple, for instance, has a license with ARM for their, their chips. Apple would no longer be dealing with ARM. Apple would be dealing with NVIDIA ARM or whatever that company becomes. Uh, so that type of that merger is going to affect all business partnerships and everybody that has agreements and relies on the individual two companies which i think is why the ftc is so much more um careful when it comes to mergers because of all of the downstream effects right uh, but of course you know everything that touches the government in any way gets political so you know, maybe maybe Tim Cook knew somebody at the FTC and he's like, hey, I don't like this. You guys should uh, you guys should do this for me. And if you do, uh, I have a million dollar house in Malibu that I don't I don't use anymore. So you can have it. I, who knows? That's exactly the kind of stuff that goes on. We know it. So, But yeah. Yeah. Or I know your nephew is trying to go around the world in 10 days or something. I happen to have a super yacht that could help him do it. And he doesn't have to give the yacht back. Yeah, and, and while he's while he's voyaging around the world, he can do some contract work for us. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Yeah. So when I was looking into this topic a little bit, I, I stumbled onto NVIDIA's cheerleading website, arm.nvidia.com. And one of the first things it says up at the top is like driving competition. And my immediate thought was, they mean driving competition away? Because I don't really know how this would drive competition. So... Let's see. ARM leads in the mobile space thanks to superior power efficiency. Yeah, got it. x86 dominates, dominates the PC and server space due to its... You can't use the same... You can't use the word to define the thing in its definition, right? And they've just done that. x86 dominates the PC and server space due to its dominance in the ecosystem of developers and partners. I don't know about that. So I think maybe NVIDIA is trying to find a middle ground or something. Hmm. There's just, there's a lot of interesting information on what they say. NVIDIA says they were going to do. And if this is, if this is a merger, then I would expect something on the arm side, similar to this, or maybe not. And maybe they don't feel like they need to cheerlead, but if it's really an acquisition, arms just like, Oh, we're getting bought. Okay, great. I get a payoff and they wouldn't care. So I, I, so I always wonder about stuff like this. It's this is arm.nvidia.com slash driving competition, driving dash competition. And I'm like, who is this targeted at? Do we think people at the FTCs are going to read this page? Really? No, this is for journalists that need to write an article uh and just need something to quickly scan through, pull out sentences so that they can use that as fluff. Yeah, I I think that's exactly it which is really frustrating, but you know that journalists are going to need that or do that, and if you go ahead and do the work ahead of time, then... Yeah, they can, just, get... quote, they can mm-hmm. just quote your PR directly instead exactly. of having to figure it out for themselves. Exactly. Don't think, journalists. Here you go. Just 
Say that. It'll be great. You'll sound brilliant. It'll be good. Right? Oh, if only it was that simple. But well, there's a lot of lazy journalism like that out there. I mean, we talked about that a long time ago. I think last year sometime. What was that about the, I think the F-35s? So we were talking about that? Uh, it was about a uh, AI versus pilot. Oh, that's what it was. Right. Air Force Challenge. Yeah. And how if you actually went into the actual data, you're like, oh, this was nothing like what what is being put out there in the media. This is a yeah, total media bait at all. It, it, there's just no merit to the actual battle. Yeah, like there were some there were some interesting things learned in the exercise, but it was not the way it came where it was not what you would have thought it was if you had just read the articles and not done any digging or if you didn't know anything in that space. All right. Yeah. That's, I guess that's just the way of things. Also, I see a lot more spelling mistakes in news articles or missing commas or something. It's like, we have to get the article out so fast. We're not even going to copy read it or, or shove it through a parser or something. So there's the other elephant in the room. Oh, okay. Which is, there's a lot of articles that are just written by AI, which mm -hmm. is ironic when you, are talking about NVIDIA and their AI systems. That is. Um, that is. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there, there are several algorithms that are out there which write pretty convincing news articles. So. And they do it, they do it in seconds. And there's, there's always, like, if you read it, there's always just something that seems wrong about the way stuff is worded or it just doesn't seem quite right. That's that's usually an indication. I think actually I sent some articles to you a while ago that I was like, this is literally the worst article I have ever read in my life. <laughs> like some of the sentences, it's like buzzword, buzzword, verb, you know, outcome. And it's I like, I remember this. Yes. This sentence doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Like it's a properly built sentence. These are real words, but it doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah, I like the generated images, too. You'll like start looking at a detail, and you're like, is that a finger? What is that? That's not really his finger. His finger looks wrong. What is that? Mm -hmm. Is that an iceberg? Why is there an iceberg on the end of his finger? It's just little things like that that just didn't get quite right. Yeah, I laugh at all the, uh, like the AI enhancements that they have that are out there as filters for like people's faces. Because like if you just look at it like cursorily, it, it, looks, it looks okay. But if you actually inspect it, you're like... Okay, what the hell is wrong with your eyes? What <laughs> yeah. is going on there? And then you like you zoom in, you're like, oh, okay, you used one of those. Right. Yeah. Well, that's our future, I think. Honestly, I think there's no avoiding AI enhanced visuals everywhere we go, or everything really. I mean, they've been doing. This isn't AI, but this is you're building. I guess what you're doing in this case, like Hololive stuff, you've got a camera on somebody, and then you're taking the image and then you're mapping it to something else, right? Some mm -hmm. anime character or whatever. And they do a pretty good job in a lot of them capturing emotion. Although it does feel a little bit forced at times. It's kind of like, okay, this is where it's supposed to be sad. Okay, sad, right? Or, or whatever. So like, there's somebody pushing buttons to, okay, add some sad emotion into this. You know, crank it back up. Now we're happier again. Okay, bubbly, whatever. It feels a little bit illegitimate, but I wonder how long it's going to be before we won't be able to tell at all. Like right now you can zoom in, you can kind of tell. There's, there's usually lots of tells in, in the image generation algorithms, uh, depending on the content. Like I suppose if you were trying to come up with a better Jackson Pollock, would you be able to tell? Maybe, maybe not. I, I would think that since there's so much, well not randomness, there's so much chaos to a Jackson Pollock painting to begin with, if some AI something were trying to create, oh, this is a picture of a Pollock and fake it, I don't know that you'd be able to tell very well. Yeah, but, uh, I, I, I think maybe that's not the best analogy because okay, it, how do you know something's a Jackson Pollock painting? Because you're told it's a Jackson Pollock painting. That's how you know. Okay. Because otherwise you would look at it and you go, well, okay, like this is just kind of random. Like, yeah, it, it only has value because you know that he did it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So... But as for your AI thing, I think um, I think it's going to take like the next generation of hardware for those the tells to start to go away because it's going to require models that are far more refined. And right now it just takes too long to actually build the model and train it with that type. I don't mean the pun, but with that kind of resolution. Mm, yeah. 
No, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's not. We're not talking image resolution. We're talking data resolution, data resolution, or behavior resolution, or something. You know, like so. If if I am, um, I was talking about Hololive and emotions. There's when we when we are humans, we have this transition between emotions on our face. If we're mm-hmm. not deliberately trying to mask it, but I I don't know that AI does that very well. It's kind of like. Do I fade from one to the other? How do I manipulate the mouth or whatever to make it look like, oh, you're happy, now you're sad? Yeah, so I know people that work in animation. And when I have talked to them about it, they've said the reason in animation they have such a problem with emotions is because the models that they're using to, you know, reposition and the face and the skin and all that, it does not have the... I guess resolution is the word I'm going to end up using again. Um, The resolution for the very minute changes that we have because of our musculature interface. Musculature. That's the word I want. Um, You know, when you smile, there's so many different muscles that are moving just a little bit each way, which is also why you can tell if someone's smiling fake or it's actually a heartfelt smile. Because it's not just the lower half of the face that changes, the entire face changes, the tension around the ears change, the tension in the brow changes, around the eyes change. Whereas when somebody fake smiles, it's all just mouth and cheeks. Um, So when they're doing animation, they don't have the ability to make all those micro adjustments across the entire face. One, because the models aren't made to have all those different options. Two, the amount of time that it would take is extraordinary to do that for every single scene because you're talking about something a transition between two emotions that might take half a second or a second screen time and if you're doing 30 fps that's 45 frames that's a lot of tweaking to do evenly you know over those 45 frames um because each of those muscles it's not just like okay go from position a to position b you have the gradient of change from position a to position b and that gradient is going to change based on what muscle it is on the face and the two motions. And so there's right. a lot of, lot of data there and a lot of things going on. Hmm. So I wonder how hard that would be though. Like if you were to actually start mapping musculature at the face to try and simulate that. And then oh, it could be, it could definitely be done. Uh, but that's pretty intensive work. For yeah. One. It's a heck of a lot of work. You would then have to turn that into something consumable by, the programs out there that people are using or you do what I think uh, some places have done it like screw it. Let's make an AI model that we can just ship and you just click buttons and it's done. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That seems, that seems very likely. Yeah. So at the end of the day, all this requires more processing power, which kind of takes us back to the original topic of nvidia is building these i looked up the cost of a dgx i saw a dgx workstation on sale 25 percent off for fifty thousand dollars i'm like who that's, oh, that's just the workstation that's just, that's just the workstation that's not that's the not, workhorse that's, that sits that's in not the, the rack. yeah the rack mount server mm-hmm. yeah yikes now i'm wondering if that price is because there's nothing like it and they can charge whatever they want because the demand is so high maybe you know there's no availability i, I don't know uh so from the last person that I talked to, and it was actually the model before the DGX, which I think was the DG2, maybe. Um, I, I forget the name. Uh, they said to me that it was kind of a multitude of things. It, part of it was price, but uh, part of it was um, not, pri- uh, not price. That's not how I want to say it. Part of it was uh, the difficulty in actually manufacturing it, but that was like the smallest portion of the price. The biggest was the fact that you don't have any other options. Right. If you if you want to be able to have this, this is your option. And if you want to be on that cutting edge of, you know, AI and machine learning, R&D and development, well, you, you can go buy lesser hardware. You're going to have to buy a lot more of it and it's going to take a lot longer. Right. So it's the business incentive of, yeah, you can charge a ridiculous amount of money for something way more than it's worth because the business motivation and the business payoff is there. It's, it's kind of like to, to go back to photography, Zeiss lenses. You, know, you can buy a Carl Zeiss lens for $6,000. Now is, is that lens actually worth $6,000? No, probably not. And for anyone who's just doing amateur or even entry level professional work, they can't justify a $6,000 lens. 
However, if you're doing professional portraiture and you're doing high-end work, that lens will pay itself off in a month. So for that, $6,000 for the lens actually is a deal because over so, yeah. the year, you're going to make way more than that. But only if you're in that sliver of you get that kind of work and you get that kind of volume. Somebody like me, yeah, I don't, I don't do that, that volume of work. So I would probably pay that off in 20 years or maybe less than that. But yeah, I'm not going to spend $6,000 on, on that lens. Right. Yeah. But somebody who's going to use that lens day in, day out, $6,000 makes sense. All right. I guess if as you're trying to get ahead, since everybody, everybody, all the companies have identified AI is the future. Now, how do we make that into something profitable? I don't know. Go buy some AI people and stuff. Kind of like what happened with crypto. How do we make money on crypto? Oh, we'll make a crypto this. We need to hire some smart crypto people. Where are those people? So there's, there's Yeah, stuff. and go back further than that. It was like when the cloud buzz went off and everything right. had to have cloud on it. Like, does this come with cloud? I need cloud because cloud's the thing. <laughs> You know, AI is that it's it's AI's turn. Does does this does this use AI? Does this have AI in it? Yeah, there's been another uh, content streaming, right? It's just every day there's more content streaming services. And like, why? There's already 30 music streaming services. Why do we need a 31st? Who thought that was a good idea? I guess it was someone that was late to market who decided, oh, we need to get in on action too. Like, we can't not. Or or something. It just seems like people with money, and money is cheap right now too, still. So if you want to take a shot on something, you can finance it cheaply and see what happens, right? So I, let's say I have $100 million and I'm looking for a way to make another $100 million. Well, I can go invest with somebody else that I think may have a good idea, or if I have a good idea, maybe I'll just take a crack at putting it together myself. I, I know, there's, there's, we're talking about like way up at, at the level, which I don't fully understand. how it. How, so I have heard or read that once you have money, it's much easier to make money, which mm-hmm. strikes me as backwards. But that uh, seems like how it is. I guess no, it's that, something that really is how it is. So you don't, you're not like scraping from paycheck to paycheck, or not having to pay. Like, okay, shoes are a good example. There's a whole bunch of shoes out there for fifty dollars, hundred dollars, hundred fifty dollars, and then there's those nice shoes. They're like mm-hmm. start at four hundred. We've been making shoes the same way for one hundred twenty years, using the same tools and the same materials. So they're $450 or whatever now, they weren't back then, but you, you buy that pair of shoes, you take care of it, and it lasts you 20 years, right? So you're not spending $50 times 20, mm-hmm. which was a, a lot. Math. Why is math escaping? So to give you a kind of a, a hopefully, a, maybe a better understanding, let's, let's go back to the crypto, the crypto okay. reference that you made, because I have people that I know that, that do lots of mining. He has people. Did you hear that? <clears throat> yeah, I have people. <laughs> Unfortunately, they, they can't help me out, but I have people. Yeah. So you, you're well aware of the concept of economies of scale. So there's kind of an in, I don't know if inverse is the word to use, but that's the word I'm going to use when it applies to having money to make money. So let's say that you have 10 grand and with 10 grand, you're going to go out and buy a whole bunch of GPUs and those GPUs mining crypto then will pull in, uh, let's say $2,000 a month. Okay. So in five months, you get your ROI, and then you take you know, ten, that 10 grand, buy another 10 GPUs, and now you're making another, now you're making another 2,000, so now you're making 4,000 a month. Okay, now let's imagine that you had 20,000 initially, okay? So again, 20,000, twice the amount, you're going to get twice the profit. So instead of 2,000 a month, you're getting 4,000 a month. It still takes you five months to pay off, but then when you reinvest that 20,000 again, now you're making 8000 a month. Okay. Where be- because you had more, you can make more per unit that you're spending, which means then you're gaining more. And then as you roll that forward, it's compounding. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Now apply this to literally everything in life. Well, not literally everything, but like if you don't have to, if you don't have a house payment, because mm-hmm. you own a house, right? Or you don't have a mortgage. Right. You still have to pay taxes every year and yada, 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 whatever. Yeah. But you're not paying interest that's just getting thrown away. You're not, you're not losing lots of money every year to the financing costs. Correct. So, but you have to pay up front. Yeah. It seems very straightforward, but we really start getting into it. I wonder nowadays, at what level would you, what level would you say you've made it? Especially now that number is kind of 
changing because of inflation. Like, if you, I base everything off of like when I was in high school, right? That's that's the numbers I learned on how much things cost back then. Back then, mm-hmm. you could go and get a fast food meal for four dollars or something, right. right? How long has it been since we could do that? So back then, if you had like a hundred thousand dollars in say nineteen ninety nine, that's probably enough. I say that's a lower edge of what you can do. You're not really worried as much about what life costs and you can start making money from your money much easier. I suppose it also depends on how expensive a life you live. You know, if if you have a nice house versus a humble house, maybe. Yeah, it's, maybe it's too maybe it's too selective there. But I I'm I guess what I'm trying to figure out is in today's dollars, how much would it cost to arrive at a position where you don't need to worry? What would you I- think? Well, it depends on what you mean by not need to worry. Okay. Do you mean not enough. need to ever work again? Do you mean, like, what, what does that mean? Okay. I don't mean not ever work again. But, I okay. mean, you're never going to be like, gosh, am I going to make this month's payment? Or, uh, you know, how, how can I actually afford this house payment or something? I seem to be inordinately focused on houses. Probably because we've, we've moved and, and I'm trying to figure out where we're going to live. So, I keep getting stuck on house stuff. I'm sorry. Housing market's really bad in Dallas right now. I'm kind of annoyed. Side note, not not really going to go into that, but this this is topical because I'm I'm trying to figure out at what level. Because I, I also know you can take your money, you can set it aside. Let's say you get six percent a year. So mm-hmm. how much would it take to live your life the way you do now? And I suppose this is different for every person. The average person, how much does it take to live their life if they were living it just on interest? Like how much would that take? Right, if you had an endowment. And all you were making was six percent off of, of interest per year. How much do you think that would be? Um, okay, so a couple things. Obviously, this is going to vary greatly on someone's lifestyle because what I have friends that I don't. I don't really know why we're friends because we disagree on just about everything, and they constantly drive me insane. But somehow. You're not Somehow talking about me, right? No, no, not you. Okay. Uh, I have talked to you about these these people before, though. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So they don't listen to this podcast, so I, I can I can air some dirty laundry. Perfect. Uh, Go for so it. They're they're a couple, and between the two of them, they make about I think it's about three hundred fifty grand a year. Gosh. Yeah. They live paycheck to paycheck. That's upsetting. Now, I I don't get that. Yeah. Like, I, I don't either. I just cannot comprehend how is it you're making 350k a year. Now, granted, there are taxes. Okay, I understand that, but that means they're getting 30 grand a month, and it's gone. Yeah, what like that what that kind that? of lifestyle, I can't really comprehend. Gosh, because yeah, I can't like, in in two months they're making they're making more in two months than I make in a year. So like. What what are you guys do? Where is the money going? Are you eating it? Like <laughs> baking it in a pies or something? Yeah. So like, <laughs> if if you were to ask them, like what what's the what's making it? Like there, I have no idea what their answer. Would right. Be. Well, that's fair. Yeah. So there's huge variability to people. And the other question is, like, are you talking about income? Like this is how much you need to make every year, so to speak, to have made it? Or do you mean like? You get a one lump sum to do whatever you want with, and then you're good. Because those are, I mean, those are also those yeah. are two different things. If if you were if you had a lump sum of all the money you were ever going to make for the rest of your life, okay, what would be enough of a lump sum to make it? Um, we'll so put it that one. Let me think. I can see so, wheels turning. Yeah. So for me, it would probably be one lump sum for the rest of my life. Probably 300K. Wow. Wow, okay. I guess because you're living out and you... Uh... Well, because okay. I... Does that factor in repairing your house? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. That's actually really impressive. I was thinking it'd be like north of a million or something. I mean, for I'm sure for a lot of people it would be. Yeah. Because and... I'm just thinking, okay, the rest of your life, you can never make any other money, right? I guess this wouldn't really track with inflation either, right? So I think if you make 6% a year in interest on your $1 million, that's 60000 a year, right? Pay your taxes on that because it's capital gains or whatever. 
But 20 years from now, you still just have your million dollars and your 6%. And 20 years from now, I don't think 60,000 is going to be going nearly as far as it does today, right? Well, again, again, this also depends on what your expected lifestyle is. True. I mean, if, if, if your house is paid off, if your cars are paid off, if you have no expenses because everything's been paid off, the, the only real expenses you have are going to be like, okay, your phone bill, if you want to stay connected with people, um, your food bill. I like how you put if there. Yeah, if. In, insurance and like tax on uh, your home. If you can't cover that with 60 grand, even, you know, after, entirely, we, yeah. even after we consider inflation, like yeah. you've, you've got a problem, at least in my opinion. You, your, your tastes are way too high. Very big house, perhaps, or very expensive food or any number of combination or overinsured, perhaps. Yeah. So this is kind of a, a scattered thought, but it's been on my mind a lot lately. And I kind of wonder what was... Also, I stumbled into the the financial independence retire early subreddit a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. And I tried not to go back there because it's like all these people that are living the life. And they're living the life. They just, like what you're talking about, they just made life so cheap that they could live the life without really worrying. Mm-hmm. Right? I saw one case study of if I never ever want to pay taxes again, what would I have to do from right here? How would I do that? And it was actually feasible to never pay income tax to the federal government ever again and be successful in living, like say starting at 40 or something, like never pay tax again. That's what this case study was. So I don't think it's the kind of life that I would really want to live. I don't want to eat beans every day, but it's possible, right? So let me ask this, is your 300,000 eating beans every day? No. Okay. So you get your half cows every so often? Yeah. Okay, good. So you're actually eating like good quality meat. All right. Yeah, and uh, rice is cheap. Yeah, I suppose so. It's really... Uh, so I didn't mean to talk about this, but the, the housing market in Dallas being the way it is, you just can't... Money's been too cheap for too long. You can't buy a house for a reasonable cost. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking from seven or eight years ago, what, what the value of homes were, and thinking, oh, okay, I think I can finally afford that now, right? Maybe I can get up into that range. Uh, No, because everything has moved forward $100,000 or $200,000. I'm like, how did this happen? Why did this happen? Partly, I think it's Dallas, and partly, I think it's just inflationary everything that's been going on. It's just cheap money policy makes everything go up, right? So it, it's great because you can buy cheap money if you want to do that, but if you don't want to do that, then you kind of get screwed. In, in a cheap money era, you have to be buying the cheap money. That's, that's not the right way to put that, is it? You have to be taking advantage of the cheap money to really succeed, I think. Mm-hmm. Or just have so much money that it doesn't matter, at which point you're not really probably needing to take out a loan for anything. So I'm trying to figure out how we got here. Do you remember the, the series of steps that got to this topic? Uh, yeah, we talking about companies making money and then yeah. make having money to make money. And then uh, you went that's right. off on the, how much do you need? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm injecting my own personal thoughts into this. Well, that, it's, this is the opinion dominion. So we kind of do that. Yeah. So let me pop the stack back a couple of times. Some, I thought I had earlier, you were talking about why NVIDIA would like to buy ARM as opposed to just licensing tech from them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you made it sound like, well, of course this is the right move. But if you don't have $40 billion lying around, then what are your options? You have to license tech from ARM or don't play in that space, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right? So I guess it seems, it seems to me like the, you have to already have money in order to make the money to stay in the business. Well, yeah, right? but if you're in NVIDIA, you... Literally print money. Literally? Yeah. Really? Literally? Yeah. They have Silic- money printers? Yes. Yeah. They're silicon dollars. Oh, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Your products make Especially crypto dollars. Especially right now. <laughs> like, this is why, you know, prices are so high. Like, yes, there is the chip shortage. But what has exacerbated the chip shortage is that GPUs print money. And why is someone not going to buy something that's going to pay itself off in six months and then keep giving them free money? Like, That's true. They're not going to stop that. They're going to keep buying more because <laughs> yeah. it's more free money in six months. Like, right, that's a exactly. really that's a really damn good investment. Of let me spend a thousand dollars now, and then I'll get that back in half a year to a year, and then after that, I just keep getting money. Like no one's going to stop that train. Somebody's going to go out and buy five GPUs, mine until they can buy a sixth, and buy the sixth, and then mine until they can buy a seventh, and that it's going to be a little shorter. Because now they've got six going. And then they buy the seventh, and 
the amount that's going to take to get an eighth is going to be even shorter, and they can just roll that ball forward until. Yeah, you got to keep buying chassis to put them into, though. Keep in mind. Yeah, but I mean, used computers are cheap. You can get those all over the place. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. So that's like how how Google got their start, just buying random computers yeah. off shelves or at flea markets or something. Like a friend of mine, he buys basically two GPUs every month. Okay. He's, he's reached that point because that's his profit that he makes hmm. in mining is he can buy two more GPUs. So instead of saving it, he's continually just reinvesting it. And he's been doing that for long enough that, you know, in probably another six months, he'll then be able to buy four GPUs a month and just keep rolling that forward. So at now, some point, you got to stop and take profits there. Well, okay. So his plan is he knows that eventually there's going to be a bear market and the price is going to drop. He's going to keep buying until the price drops. And at that point, then he's going to hold. He's just going to mine and hold and mine and hold and mine and hold until the next bull market. And then when it takes off, then he takes his profit. Okay. So hmm. he's, you know, he's looking at like four or five years. All right. Yeah. But again, he's getting his ROI in really fast, like eight months. Yeah. So yeah, so you're okay. playing with, you're playing on house money at that point. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, I've never really done much mining. I don't like the noise. I'll be honest, I don't like the loud noise. Chris, I, I never really had a space, like a basement. See, in Texas, we don't have basements. You can't just go shove your server in the basement somewhere or whatever. I know you have a basement that you can't really use for that. But uh, a lot of people, I think, oh, I'll just put this very noisy thing that's running continually down there. It's always cold down there. It'll be much, you know. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, we I don't, don't think really putting, putting a GPU rig in my basement would be the best idea. I don't think putting anything in your basement would be a good idea. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> kind of dangerous that's, down there. That's, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Although it is significantly better than it was two years ago. You've made uh, some serious, serious improvements to ish? some things. Yeah. I mean, it, I it, so. it depends on your definition of better. Right. Um, was, okay, yeah. It's actually usable. Some portion of it is now actually usable. Yeah, some portion of so it the, is. Yeah, but was before it was just abandon all hope. Easy yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it still kind of is. It's now just <laughs> abandon all hope, but you might be okay. Right. You can still kind of climb out of this, right? Or, you know, if you get stuck in the basement, you just kick down one of the very fragile walls and leave that way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course, yeah. then you have the problem of, oops, I kicked out a very important part of that wall. And now my house is crashing even more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, though, that will be fixed. Uh, that's, I hope so. <laughs> All right. Before it actually completely falls, we need it fixed. Yep, yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. Let me see here. I had another thing on NVIDIA that I wanted to ask about. All right. So let me ask this. Okay. NVIDIA pairs with ARM. Mm -hmm. AMD paired with uh, ATI. No, what was it? Yeah. AMD bought ATI. A it's like 10 years ago now. Mm -hmm. Does Intel have a graphics something that they have bought into. Have you not, like, ever looked at the news in the past year? No, I've been busy. Okay, tell me, so, tell me what's going on. Yeah, Intel has GPUs. Oh, I'm not talking about, like, the crappy things they stick in. No, in they have discrete GPUs. Real GPUs now? Yeah. Okay. I think they are come they, out to market. How expensive are they? They come out to market Q1. Okay. Uh, how, how expensive are they going to be? I don't know. People it's, will it's, buy it's, them. It's Intel, so, right, people are going to buy them. And, you know, <laughs> if, they, if they're good at mining... Uh, <laughs> People are going to buy all of them. Right, all of them. All, all the units, every single one. Just don't, don't even bother putting it on a shelf. Just, just, I'll back my truck up, put them in the back of the truck. Let's go. Yeah. Yep. I actually keep hearing, like, entire trucks of GPUs are being stolen in mm -hmm. places. Or, or, like, they have to guard the supply chain now. It's, it takes me back to an era of, like, sea piracy. Where you couldn't just sail your cargo across the, the sea without expecting some kind of attack. Right, so you might have to have a flotilla with well, you. Well, yeah, or... I mean, think about it. Like, right now, uh, 3070 Ti has a retail of, like, I think it was 600. Um, so you think the actual cost of that for it to be made is probably 450, maybe four. Um, they're going for 1,200 right now. Gosh. So, yeah. If you can... Now, how much of that does, does NVIDIA see any of that? Well, so Gelt, in, Delta? In, NVIDIA would see, you know, the, the 300 or 400 or 400 or 450 or whatever it is that they got paid from, you know, MSI, EVGA right. or whatever for the actual silicon, the partnership agreements, the plans, the spec, all that stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then EVGA does all the rest. And then they have their their expenses on top of that. And then they sell and, you know. OK. All but right. yeah, you, you take like EVGA, MSI, Gigabyte, Asus, like they're making profit at retail. 
And then, of course, the scalpers are making even more profit. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, like if you steal a truckload of GPUs, you can make a lot of money really quick. Okay. I am not advocating that anyone steal a truckload of GPUs, by the way. (laughs) Let me put that on the record. No. We're we're never saying anything like that. No. However, um, if you happen to know a guy that (laughs) does... Right. This is this is straying into O.J. Simpson. If I did it, kind of territory. Like I, I didn't, but if I did. Oh right? no 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 no! I'm not saying I'm stealing it. I'm not even saying the people I know are stealing it. I'm saying if Except somebody stolen goods know, is illegal. If you know it's stolen, then it's illegal to accept it. If you, you know it's you stolen, be... but if it's coming through like multiple people, there's no way I can know who stole right. it and that it's stolen. <laughs> okay, I guess that's a valid point. Right. It just seems okay. So if these things are so incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. Are there other companies starting up to try and make GPUs or, or ASICs or whatever that would do that would mine, right? So, Surely there's been a rash of companies that have started up to do this. So yeah, ASICs exist, and this is why companies started making ASICs for mining. The, of course, they know what their thing is worth, so they sell it accordingly. So right. I think the latest Ethereum miner that came out is like 15 grand, I think is what Ooh. it costs. Okay. So yeah, so like they're they're charging out out the ass because they know they can because they know Mm -hmm. that people will buy it because again it's a machine that prints money Mm -hmm. it'll pay off it'll pay itself off and then you can use it and make money on it and when you're done you can still sell the thing on the used market and there'll be another person who will buy it and be willing to make less money off of it so like yeah right so i well except the ethereum is moving to proof of stake right they're moving away from proof of work yeah so they've been trying to do that for a long time they say they're actually getting there um, maybe they will, maybe they won't. There's a couple things. So some ASICs obviously are, just, are, so ASICs work by the algorithm, not by like the actual cryptocurrency itself, but by the algorithm right. the cryptocurrency uses. So the ASICs still could be used, but right now, like those coins aren't worth as much. So, you know, yeah, you're, not you gonna, you're not going to buy yeah. it at 15 grand for that. Mm. And there's the possibility that when the change to proof of stake happens, that there's going to be a group of people that are going to be like, yeah, no, we're just going to keep this train going and we're going to fork in the code and, uh-huh. you know, here are our new three letters that we're using. Uh, they can't use Ethereum Classic because that exists, so maybe they'll, like, use Ethereum Classic 2 or something. Maybe, like, GFY or something. Yeah, and then they'll just keep going so that they can keep going. Who knows? Right, yeah. Probably, because they've already invested and they don't want to lose their money stream. Yeah, and if you bought GPUs, well, then you just say, oh, I'm going to go mine this coin now. Right, yeah. So ASICs are specific to the coin you're mining. They're specific GPUs. to the algorithm. Algorithm, excuse me, you're right, to the algorithm. So that's why GPUs are, well, first of all, they're cheaper to buy and get in on. Mm-hmm. And second of all, they can be used to mine any coin. Right. Right. So is it, is it, if you were to total up the cost of, say, 15 GPUs and compare it against one of these Ethereum miners, does the Ethereum miner come out ahead? Do you know? Short term, yes. Um, in my opinion, long term, no. Because, again, the Ethereum miner can only do that one algorithm, and its resale prospect is low, whereas a GPU can mine any algorithm, and then, well, except for the CPU-based coins. But then once once you're done, you can then sell the GPU because the GPU still has usage to other people. The people that I know that do do rendering, uh, they do it professionally, but they also, you know, have, like, their own little home rendering that they do for, you know, their stuff on the side. And I know a couple of them have like, dude, they, they can't wait for the bottom to drop out of crypto so that they can like buy up eight GPUs and build like a monster home render machine for right. fun. Because at that point, they'll be able to get eight GPUs dirt cheap. One hopes. Well, they hope. Are we, yeah. are we thinking that the bottom will drop out of the coin uh, crypto market? Is that well, did? Well, so we don't know. Okay. If we look right. historically, yes, we will go into a bear market. Um, if we look historically, we will go into a bear market and the price will drop down to maybe 100% of what the value of coins were before the bull market. So like you look back in the day uh, when Bitcoin had its first spike, it was, you know, in the teens or whatever. And then it shot up to a thousand and then it dropped down or I think it was up it was around a hundred Then it shot up to a thousand. And then after about a year after the bull market ended and it settled, it was down to like 200 and then it stayed there and slowly crept up to like three, four or five. And it got up to like 800 and it's kind of holding in the hundreds, you know, that mid hundreds area. And then there was the next bull run and then it shot up to yeah, Bitcoin. Then it shot up to like 19 okay. and then it fell back down and it settled at about 3000. Okay. And then it settled at about 3000 and it kept there 
up until this last bull run, you know, three, four or 5,000 in there. And then it went up to, you know, a new high. So after the bull run, it always at its lowest is higher than its peak in the prior bear market. So right. the okay, question, the question is whatever that value is at that point, is it still profitable to buy carts? Okay. Because in the previous runs, uh, bear markets, you would only buy cards and really get into it if you were committed because it wasn't just printing money because your ROI was like a year and a half, two years. Yeah. But because the value is so high now, like long term, there's going to be a point where even at its lowest price, it's still a money printing machine. Right. And at that point, I don't think we're ever going to get to the stage where people don't want to keep buying cards. This is the new normal then. Um, I don't know if we're there yet. Okay. Uh, a, a lot of the hardcore crypto people that I know, well, I shouldn't say a lot. Well, maybe half. They're hoping that we haven't hit that point yet. Right. Because they want one good final run of a bear market to reinvest. Okay. Some, though, that are, you know, tooting the hype horn and, and all aboard the hype train think <laughs> that, you know, we're, we're never going back down to where GPUs are not going to be you know, money printers. Because you think if I think Ethereum, let's say it stays proof of work. And I'm, I'm pulling numbers out, so they may be wrong. But as long as Ethereum is above like 2,500, your ROI is still pretty decent. Okay. So it would have to get down below that, I think, to really stop people from going, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, buy more GPUs. What's the theory about now? Like a four thousand or something? Uh, it's been doing pretty bad the last couple of days. Well, a lot no, of things have been doing bad recently. Yeah. So I know it went down to like thirty-eight. Um, let me pull it up. Uh, no, I don't want Coinbase. Come on, web page load. Uh, it's thirty-nine right now. Okay. So like six months ago, it was somewhere half that maybe. Uh, well, I mean, I can, a wild I can, ride. I can. Well, yeah. The well, the last year has been kind of crazy. Let me change the chart to. So July, the price was about two thousand. Okay. But that had fallen down because in May it had, was up over four. So it skyrocketed, then dropped, and then has gone back up. But if okay. we go back a year ago, see today is the nineteenth. So let's go to December twentieth. Ethereum was six hundred dollars a coin. Gosh. Okay. So, yeah. So, my guess is that if it does settle, it's going to settle in a bear market around between two and three thousand dollars. Okay. And at which point you're suggesting that's still profitable? Yeah. I would think so. Okay. Well, you mine. I don't. So, I'm going to rely upon your assessment here. Let me ask this then. There's got to be a lot of power consumed by all the mining. Yeah. There has to be, has to be noticed, tracked, something like that. Or is there going to be legislation against people that are used too much power or something? Or like water at the house that we were living in, water was tiered system. You had you paid X amount per gallon for these many gallons, mm -hmm. and then more for the next, and then way more than the next because they're trying to dissuade you from using too much water. I'm wondering if power is going to move that way right now because it's pretty much just a unit cost, you know, per kilowatt hour. Generally. Well, yeah, but transmission costs go up according to how much you use, though. So that's not okay. directly, you know, um, like unit by hmm. unit, I don't think. Okay. So I, I don't know. Maybe we'll, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I guess so. I'm also kind of expecting to see houses that are built with, it's equivalent to like geothermal, but hey, you put your mining rig in here, it produces lots of heat, and we'll just pipe that around certain rooms in the house and warm the house, you know? I, I bet that's going to happen or people are retrofitting their houses like that. Oh, I mean, I know people it, that run all their crypto rigs in the basement during the winter to heat their house. Mm -hmm. Because why not? Yeah. Like, they're paying for the heat. It's, it's free heat this way, so right? So use it's it. Residual heat or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It seems a bit strange, but at the same time, you know, you got to put it somewhere. Yeah. So in the summer, when you don't want that waste heat in your house, where do they put it? Let me ask that. Uh, so one of, them, the air out? one of them moves everything out to their garage. Okay. So then they don't care. I personally like geothermal. Um, and so if you've got a geothermal system rigged up, then it doesn't really matter because you can just add in an extra exchange for the hmm. room for 
you know, that you're doing all your crypto mining in. Okay. To then, you know, dump out that heat. All right. But, that makes sense. Yeah, it's a little pricey to set up a geothermal system in your house. Imagine so. I mean, you can do yeah. it. You can actually do it yourself if you're right. skilled. Um, there's been people that have done that. You have to have land, though, because you can't go down deep. So you have to go wide. Um, and they've done it pretty cheap doing it that way. But obviously drilling and, and going down deep is the, is the best way. But that's then pricey. That's expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got to rent a rig for that. And depending on where you live. Like it might not work as well in Texas as it would, you know, where I live. Yeah, good. Yeah, we have both clay and big freaking rocks everywhere. So not really conducive to drilling. But it's clearly it still happens, you know. There's lots and lots of drilling in Texas, especially out west. And so I've heard that, that you know people that know a thing or two about drilling. So maybe you could just be like, hey, bring one of those things to my backyard for a couple of days. Just right. do some training on it. Those are those are big ones. Those are like 25,000 foot holes. And, and well, then, there you go. That's on. the best geothermal you could get, man. Yeah, no, that's that's a bit excessive, right? It's overkill. Yeah. We'll you say. don't need to drill eight holes. I need one hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That seems like there's a, oh, every time I talk about crypto, I'm realizing just how little I know about it. And like, I need to get in and start doing mining or, or get involved in that and learn some more things. And then I just never get into it. So at some point, I don't know what it'll take to actually get me to jump in. What was the point that made you decide to jump in and start mining? So I did it a long time ago just because I thought it was interesting and it was like magic internet money. <laughs> um, and then like, I, I you know, I, it came and went in phases. Okay. And... I did CPU mining for quite a while because I have a ridiculous amount of servers because so why, right. why not? Uh, GPU mining more recently, it actually was a friend that kind of got me into it because I was talking to him one day about different things and he lives in DC and he was complaining about his power bill, which is like 13 and a half cents um, a kilowatt hour. And I was like, oh man, that sucks. Mine's like six. <laughs> and he was like, hey, how about like, <laughs> how about like, you put this rig in your car and drive it out to your house and like plug it in there and I'll pay you for power. And you know, you can have the rig for like a day a week. I'm like, okay, sure. And then, yeah, it was just like, huh, magic money. <laughs> right. <laughs> hard just, to turn this down. It just appears like once a day, I, you know, I go in and change the wallet out. And then at the end of the day, I change it back. And then, wow, magic money, magic money. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I, I need to, different place before i start doing that but uh yeah I don't there's really nowhere i don't have anywhere else to keep stuff yeah i don't think at the place you're at now it would be uh it would be a yeah, good idea not very suitable we'll just put it that way yeah kind of too loud and uh too much investment oh all right we kind of went all over the, all, we kind of went all over the yeah i was, I was me, like how me, do i summarize me, this hold on, hold on, let me rephrase that yeah we uh we kind of went all over the place with this episode kind of did but is that any different than normal i think normally we kind of stay on topic a little better perhaps yeah. Well, okay. We talk about NVIDIA. Then actually, we're going to talk about what is making all their money. Yeah. And it seems very natural once you're talking about GPUs to start talking about mining. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So I, I don't know that I could have predicted we would have gone here, but I'm not surprised. Right. But I still think it boils down to try. I'm trying to pop all the way back up to the top of the stack. If NVIDIA and R merge, I don't know that that's a bad thing. I originally intended to talk about this before we started going way deep into these other topics. Like, FTC's blocking it because of com competitive reasons, I think, is what they're citing. There's not really much competition. There's x86, and then there's ARM, and then there's... Gosh, what's the other one that we've been hearing about a lot? There's RISC-V, uh, there's Open Power. RISC-V. I think open technically... Open still around kicking? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's definitely kicking. Uh, okay. I think Spark might even still be around. MIPS is still around. Really? Okay, so there's more competition than I knew. I mean, well, yes, but they all have like a fraction, right? Because x86 has everything. It's dominant. ARM yeah. is the real first thing that's been actually taking decent market share. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, it seems like uh, with so much money in there, perhaps other designs would show up or something. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's so expensive to make chips, and it's so expensive to design them and have any chance of success. I wonder if just like a gifted couple people could say, oh, I'm going to go make a processor on paper and see if we can actually make this thing. I mean, how would that even work? Yeah, there's, there's people that do. There's guys that have done that on YouTube. They, right. They've literally wired their own custom CPU. Oh, I need to, I need to see this. Yeah. Send me, send me links to that. I want to watch that. That's cool. Okay, I'll have to find it. 
Right. I'm not going to do that, but it'd be cool to watch someone else do that. Yeah, I thought about when I first found out, I was like, dude, that'd be awesome. I should do that. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm crazy, but I'm not that crazy. You're also the person that suggested we could build a PDP-7 from scratch because you had the book. PDP-11. 11, excuse me, 11. PDP-11. Yes. Which I haven't forgotten about. I'm just kind of intimidated by it, to be honest. I don't know why. Uh, it's very simple. Right. Very simple how? Uh, the schematics are very simple. Have you assembled things from schematics before? Yes. Like large projects. So, okay, let me ask this. If you're like laying out a board yourself, there's a lot more to it than just, oh, this part needs to connect to that part. There's kind of a lot of work there to get it right. Yeah, except like that's all in the technical drawings. So they already have all the boards laid out? Yeah. Oh, that would make it easier. Hmm. I wonder how many hours it would take to build something like that. Anyway, uh, let's let's talk about that another time. Okay. Yeah, because I think we're uh, stretching out here. So we have wandered a very long direction, long, long way in our talk today. If you have any feedback on any of it, or heck, you thought we were going to go somewhere and we didn't get there, bring it up. Uh, we have many ways to reach out to us. The Telegram channel and the Matrix channel, which are joined, they've been pretty hopping pretty lately. We have email. If you want to email us, uh, actually, you're emailing jt at mindripmedia.com. Com. Yep. I guess dot com. Yeah, mindtripmedia.com. You can also reach out to us uh, directly from Fireside on the download page. Any closing thoughts, JT? Um, yeah. Uh, just remember, Jeff, you don't have to floss all your teeth, only the ones you want to keep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I really tried to hold a straight face for that. I really did. And you failed. Uh, I guess so.